When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into episode 224 of the Source to Say podcast, your go to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Oh, I have my, there we go. We're good. Uh, <laughs> on the Growing KSR Podcast Network, Source to Say podcast is presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations. It's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justdental.com or calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same time, uh, at the same number, to ask a question or make an appointment. Now's a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson and Dr. Justice uh, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental Team looks forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by KSR's own Zach Gagan. Zach, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? I'm ready ready to talk some hoops, some recruiting actions, some play-by-play classics, some Justin Edwards, Reed Shepard. What else is on our little rundown ticker over here? I love our, our features are just... Our, we're stepping our game up. Is really what's going on here. Yeah, we were. We, it's going to be a very jam-packed show. A lot to fit in. We're going to try to keep it uh, relatively tight, forty minutes or so. Uh, apologies for the uh, early technical difficulties. I did this last time where I stupidly uh, left the live stream going on in the background, and I was hearing this echo, and it was really driving me crazy because I assumed it was just like a. a technological error really it was just my stupid fault so i'm glad we got that glad we uh got that fixed and situated before getting into the nitty-gritty of everything uh we're going to get things rolling talking about our big weekend zach it was an amazing time at the at freedom hall the kentucky play-by-play classic very very uh cool event there uh where we got to see our first look at Reed Shepard versus Justin Edwards, two future Kentucky Wildcats. They both signed in the early signing period, uh, and uh, it was their first time playing against each other, and it lived up to the billing, Zach. We got to see the boast, uh, the, the best of both of them, I believe. Uh, you got, you know, Neither of them had perfect performances, but I really thought uh, that we got to see the best of both of them, uh, especially offensively. Uh, just really, really impressive performances. Uh, both earned MVP honors. Uh, Justin Edwards uh Leads away 15 points, 12 rebounds, and a 59-54 win for Emotep. Uh, and then uh, Reed finishes with 14 points, 11 assists, and seven rebounds in the loss for North Laurel. Flirted with a triple-double. Yeah, I, I love Justin Edwards, but I think he might have gotten away with a goaltend on one of those previous – on that block that we saw there just a second ago. Uh, but both of their games uh, were kind of exactly what you would thought they were, kind of ad, as advertised players. Uh, they're guys that don't – pride themselves on wanting to go out there and take 30 shots a game. They're guys that want to get each other, get their teammates involved and, and play good defense and, and work the floor, play, make, do things like that. Uh, I think we saw that out of both of them. Um, it was just kind of, you know, like you said, solid nights all around. You didn't have either guy go off for 30 points, but um, 
you got the Kentucky fans got a great first glimpse of what these type of guys are going to bring. And those are the type of stat lines, I think, you know, maybe not near triple doubles from Reed, but double doubles from Justin Edwards, I think is what you're going to expect from him at Kentucky pretty much every time down. Uh, he didn't do much in try in terms of trying to, you know, will himself to the basket and his team still came away with the win. If that tells you anything, he's got a decently talented group around him. Another four-star point guard, Ahmad Noel uh, helps out him as well. So, but overall, I think it was kind of exactly what we were expecting. Uh, maybe not as many, you know, superstar highlights as we expected. Uh, I was kind of hoping the two of them would go head to head a little bit more as well. Uh, it seems like Justin was really taking on that challenge, though. More or um, three or four different possessions in a row. I think he kind of took it upon himself to go up against Reed, and Reed looked really good, honestly, against all these, uh, you know, four star, a lot of these nationally ranked kids. So. All in all, I was I was pleased with what I saw. Uh, obviously, even though Ted came away with the win, but good game from both of our future cats here. Yeah, I think they both, uh, like you said, did exactly what you were hoping to see out of both of them. Um, answered all of the questions that I personally had for them going into it. Uh, you know, Justin is a guy that, uh, as long as he is six foot seven, as athletic and agile. Um, you know, really what you're looking for out of a versatile two-way wing, my, for my money, the number one player in the class and easily the best uh, best versatile two-way wing in the class for, for sure. Uh, but his shooting struggles have been no secret. He didn't shoot very efficiently in the UIBL this past year. And, uh, you, you know, he goes through some cold streaks every once in a while. It's, his shot mechanics are very impressive, uh, but definitely goes through some cold, cold slumps every once in a while. Uh, but I thought uh, he immediately goes in there and, and knocks down three quick threes, kind of set the tone early, uh, and then really kind of is, asserts himself as a facilitator throughout the game and then and really uh, goes out of his way to be an all-out defender, uh, like you said, stepping up against Reed, really trying to make him as uncomfortable as possible. And I think that he kind of did his job early, especially Reed was very uncomfortable trying to get settled in, uh, getting his feet wet against a you know top three, potentially number one player in the class. Uh, like Justin. So it was really good to see Reed uh, kind of battle back after struggling a little bit early. Uh, I thought he was a little bit too passive, trying to find his pa his pass just a little bit too much. He'd kind of drive down the lane, uh, leave his feet, which I think he does far too often, uh, leave his feet to find shots on the outside, left or right corner. Um, but you can kind of tell that he kind of settled himself in, took a deep breath and said, look, I'm a five-star top 25-ish kid in the country for a reason, I, I'm deserving of, of this competition as well. Uh, you know, he's an elite defender, but I'm also an elite offensive talent as well. And you really got to see the best of that in the second half. I just love the way, you know, Justin kind of set the mood and set the tone of the event to start the game. And then Reed kind of finished things off. And then Justin kind of went for the kill there. Uh, like we talked about in our rapid reaction video, I loved how Justin, as things kind of kept getting tight and Reed kind of kept hitting dagger after dagger after dagger, uh, he took it upon himself, uh, took, demanded the ball, went for a really tough left-handed finish inside. Uh, and he came back down the floor uh, and yelled to his teammates, get me the effing ball. Uh, I just, I love that killer instinct. You got to love that after, for a, a future wild. Really, you know, like, like you said, not a 30 point performance for either, either of them. Wasn't just a, you know, I'm going to go out and try to just score as many points as I can. Really efficient nights, really uh, just productive, high quality basketball evenings for both of them. Yeah, this is definitely, like I just mentioned, this is what you're going to more expect from these kids at UK. Uh, they're guys that, yeah, they don't want to go out and put up as many shots as possible. They, they as you and I have known, we've watched Reed many, many times. He's very big on being passive in the first half and then trying to take over the games in the second half. And uh, 
you can kind of see the vision with Reed too, uh, alongside better teammates. No disrespect to his North Laurel uh, teammates there, but the Imhotep guys were just, you know, they had to step on him just pretty much every time. Um, I do like that Reed. I think he had, he was maybe three for four on his full court passes to the other end, where I think one of them went over Justin Edwards' fingertips, which is like a seven foot wingspan. All of them were on the money except for the one that he, I think, Justin Edwards did end up getting. Uh, so I wonder if uh, you know maybe Reed's going to pull that into uh, into Kentucky as well because I'm a big fan of those passes and they tend to work out for him as well. Uh, well. Another thing, like you said, like when he's playing against guys that can really get up in his grill and defend his shot, he does a lot of the catch in the air, move it like this, and somehow he still manages to get it away most of the time, which is impressive enough. I don't know how well that'll translate to the next level, um, but he did a lot of things out there against Justin that you know. He's a true four-star top 40 kid in the country. Uh, and I think those type of games that you saw that we saw on Sunday night, that's that would that proved it. And like you said, Justin, he's for my money, he's the number one player in the class. I don't think, you know, we've seen these kids over and over again at this point. Uh, neither of these guys had anything to prove, if you will, coming out as well. You know, they're both committed. They're in the middle of their seasons right now. They're, you know, the first quarter of their their final regular season. So they're out there just hooping right now instead of trying to impress people and uh, play to the crowd and things like that. So, and I loved uh, post game wrapping up on, on the, the game itself. I loved post game that they both kind of acknowledged. I am very excited and not ever have to do this ever again. Uh, go heads up against each other. Uh, you just kind of appreciated the uh, just how genuine they both were. It's just like, look, this was for a show. We uh, you know appreciated what this event meant and being able to sign autographs and take pictures with fans afterward. Justin Edwards was a little overwhelmed. Um, with the cameras afterward, he kind of walked into the post game, you know, kind of press conference media opportunity. Uh, he kind of counted all the cameras. He was like, one, two, three, four, five. Damn, there are, I've never seen this many cameras in my entire life. So that was kind of cool seeing him uh, kind of embracing Big Blue Nation for the first time and, and having that opportunity to just kind of know what being a Kentucky basketball player is going to be like. Uh, and Reed, obviously, he's been around it forever. He knows what that means. So it was, it's just a little bit of both that it was the first time, you know, big opportunity for Justin to be in front of Big Blue Nation and know what being, you know, under the Kentucky spotlight was like. And it was an opportunity for Reed to show, you know, can you do it against an NBA six foot seven, seven foot wingspan type of uh, elite, elite uh, wing, especially on the de defensive end of the floor? Uh, great opportunity for both of them. And I, I thought they both passed that test with with flying colors. So uh, definitely uh, shout out to both of them. Appreciate you had both of them. Go for it. No, I was going to mention the Tennessee ball or Trinity ball yeah. situation with Justin, which was great where uh, we mentioned it in the rapid reaction, but Trinity's balls were being used for the freedom hall or the event there. Uh, their logo is it's literally the exact same logo as Tennessee's. Uh, I thought it was just kind of a mirror or like, you know, supposed to be the same. It's the exact same thing. Uh, Justin Edwards picked up the ball. It was like in the first quarter very early. He sees the logo. He goes, is this Tennessee ball? I can't use this. Hands it back to the ref and it just had a smile on his face. But it was funny to overhear that because I was like, all right, this kid, he's he knows what he, he's already bought into the to the rivalry. He knows what's going on. Obviously, he picked UK over Tennessee. Uh, so. I'm sure the uh, the Tennessee fans probably didn't like seeing that tweet go by, but the Kentucky fans sure did. Yeah, I, I like how he's embraced that. We had him on the show. Uh, he had some great comments, great great responses, and he brought up that he is excited for that Tennessee matchup because he knows the uh, just how important that rivalry is. Uh, and he's heard a lot of the – he said that uh, uh, during that interview that – uh, Tennessee fans were all over him whenever he announced his commitment to Kentucky. So I think he's kind of embraced the, I don't really care that you all hate me. I'm just going to continue to be me and 
uh, attack you whenever my time comes on the floor to, to play Tennessee. So uh, I just appreciate how much he's embraced that rivalry and a uh, uh, great kid. I, I think he's going to be a, a heck of a player here at Kentucky. I think for my money, I think he's going to be one of the top wings to ever come through uh, under John Calipari. I just, I just don't see a kid like that failing the tools that he has, just how comfortable he is with the ball in his hands. Truly a one through four type guy. There's a, a comment. Um, Joshua Catrone uh, says, I, I think Justin Edwards is a four, the four next year, no matter who comes back. That argument is made with Chris Livingston, and and I think that actually makes sense because he is kind of the big, sturdy, physical presence, and you do kind of need him to be that mismatch guy. Justin Edwards has the real guard skills that I think, you know, the shot-making ability. I, I think he can play the two, three, four. I, he's not a one, but I think he can play whatever the heck you need him to play. Uh, if you get Rob Dillingham a little too erratic at times, slide him up to the two if you get – you need him to be your go-to three. I think he can play that just fine. And shoot, he can. He works very well out of the high post. There's a lot of impressive stuff out of the mid-range. He can play the four, too. That, that is a guy that if you're talking true one through four, especially defensive switchability, that's your guy. Yeah, he's not a Chris Livingston, a Keon Brooks, an Alex Poitras type of three slash four. This guy is an NBA wing. Like, he's a guy that – like you said, he can play too. I don't know if he. I don't know if he's a guy we want playing for. To be honest with you, I'd say put him at the three, put him next to two really good guards, and let those guys just go to work because Justin's going to be good enough on the wing that he'll be able to get to the rim better than a guy like Chris can or Keon could or Alex Port, like those type of players, or even Cam Fletcher or whoever else you want to throw in there. Um, like Edwards just has better ball skills and he'll be able to get to the rim a lot better. So I think that is an interesting note though. Uh, because wouldn't it be hilarious if that's the one time that Cal decides to throw his three <laughs> is is complete opposite of what we all want? So I kind of almost can see that happening right now. Yeah, we uh, and honestly, you know what? If you if I if you get a guy like Antonio Reeves back or a CJ Frederick, and he you know kind of becomes the player we thought he was going to be, would it really be all that terrible to kind of actually have a real four guard lineup that includes a uh, DJ Wagner, uh, Rob Dillingham, CJ Frederick? Again, assuming that he continues to fight back and, and be the player that we're hoping and expecting him to be. And then Justin at the four and then Ugo at the five or Aaron Bradshaw at the five. Awesome. I think that when you, that's when you start talking about some real scary possibilities and, and start getting really excited. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm for it. He's a very good rebounder, too. He's a high-level rebounder for a guy who's six seven. Like, he had 12 rebounds in the, in the game that we saw. Uh, that's something that he takes pride in, especially he did at the Peach Jam and EYBL level. He was real big on uh, trying to win the battle of the glass. So if he can – oh, people are begging for the scoop right now. It's popping up on my screen, I see. Uh, oh, we'll but, get that. We'll get that. <laughs> but having him on the uh, – oh, gosh, I don't know, what was I even saying there? Anywho, go on to the next topic. Well, yeah, yeah great performance. Transitions perfectly into uh, John Calipari, Orlando Antigua were both in attendance to see uh, to, to see their future Wildcats. That was step stop number one for them. Uh, and then just the next day, Monday, they uh, take their little private jet down to Atlanta to see Rob Dillingham, future Wildcat, down at the Overtime Elite facilities down there. Got to see an open workout that he didn't have a game, but um, got to see him work out. Got to chat with him, update uh, on, on some things. Uh, so. Scoop number one, I'll kind of address this and bring a rumor up that has been kind of circulating very, very quietly behind the scenes, and I'll go ahead and kill it. Scuttlebutt or scoop? Well, it started as scuttlebutt, and I'm going to go ahead and turn it into scoop. 
Yeah. Um, so what, what you, you had one, one moment before, before we go there, you, you had a, your finger yeah, up. Like you need say a scoop one, scoop number one. Oh. Let's get to it. Gotcha. So, and so Tyler, Tyler's asking me in the comments, if that's a cat tower and it is, this is my cat tower here. So great. Great. great cat if you want it. So here's the so uh, there were some chirping, some uh, little tiny itty bitty rumblings about the possibility of Rob Dillingham potentially being an early enrollee, uh, leaving overtime uh, in January to be a second semester uh, enrollee at Kentucky. Um, that was something that was kind of very quietly spreading. Uh, that rumor, you know, th there was always a talk about him reclassifying back when he, you know, like last summer, would he play on this current team? And, you know, how would he fit in, you know, would they, uh, you know, there was all the talk, would he be able to even work alongside DJ Wagner? And when he committed, it was like, well, is he making this move so he could be a, a reclass kid and go to 2022? Um, so that died out. That was not obviously a possibility because he's not there right now. Um, and then he, things kind of died down a little bit and made his, the Donda situation happen. He left, went to overtime elite. Things are going very well. Um, but there was some talk that he was very interested in maybe being an early enrollee guy, get to Kentucky, work on his body, work on, uh, you know, going up against guys like Casey Wallace, Xavier Wheeler, a Thero, even from a physicality standpoint uh, and get ready for the following season. Obviously that's something that Kentucky fans would not be uh, very excited for again, even though he's completely el uh, not eligible for the draft. I know that's just something that fans will just roll their eyes at because we, we heard the same song and dance last year, uh, but he's only 17 years old turns 18 in January. So by definition, he would not be eligible for the 2023 NBA draft because he would, uh, he misses the deadline uh, by October, but so misses it by three whole months, just from an age perspective. And that's a, absolute bare minimum you can't be less than 19 years old the year of the draft so uh, that wouldn't even be a possibility but unfortunately that's not even going to be uh, something that we even have to uh, discuss because uh, I talked to some people that would absolutely know Kentucky is uh, they're they're very comfortable with him at overtime they want him there they want him to develop they like that he's putting on some weight uh, it's a really nice structure very well coached uh, group and, and he's playing against real talent look he just went up against the Thompson Twins, uh, two top five draft picks for this upcoming year. Grown men, imagine Michael Kidd-Gilchrist times two. Uh, literally twins that do the same thing that we saw Michael Kidd-Gilchrist do with uh, absolute killer instinct mindset. And unfortunately, absolutely crushed Rob last weekend. Uh, they had a head-to-head -head matchup and Rob did not look very good. Uh, physically looked behind and really struggled against real NBA talent. I think it was kind of a wake-up call like, okay, I need to take my time and take this process the way it really needs to be slow, patient, develop my body and become the player that, you know, he has a talent to be, he has all the skill in the world, but uh, definitely not a process that they need to be rushing whatsoever. I personally wouldn't have a problem with him uh, reclassing up and, and just working alongside Xavier and Kaysen. And, you know, I think that's the best way to develop yourself and develop your body. But I think that all sides involved after talking things over and, you know, kind of hit and reset. They said this is where he needs to be. The development's where he needs to be. Um, so to kill a rumor before it even starts to sprinkle out there and get get out there, uh, Rob will be will be on campus next next summer. Uh, he won't be enrolling early, and uh, things are going to be a okay in that regard. Zach. Yeah, I, I could see the benefit of him uh, coming in early, but obviously, people are you know the sharp thing is still heavy on their minds. So. Maybe from a PR perspective, it's probably best for Kentucky just to not have him come here anyways. Uh, and I do think the overtime 
it's just better than anything that he'd be able to get, whether it be Dondo or, you know, the North Carolina place that he was at. What's it called? Something Academy? Uh, well, yeah. Um, Academy. That's actually, that, that was it, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, the competition there is just going to be a lot better. Uh, he's got the best facilities he can get. I mean, the OTE stuff, it's, it's shaping up to look like it's about as close to a college or even an NBA level type, you know, facilities and workout stuff that you can get to. So I'm perfectly fine with that. And especially him getting a wake up call from two guys who are for sure going to be top six picks in the draft. Um, having him that learn from Kaysen and Savir is probably good, but I'm fine with, you know, what he's doing and not having the drama that kind of would come associated with that. Uh, and not to say that Rob would stoke the fire, but he sure does like to uh, shine in the social media light as well. Yeah, it's. I just don't even think that's something that can you know Kentucky wants to deal with again. The backlash, the questions, and the concerns, and it's why can't he be like every other high schooler that develops the same way, going through the same process? He's at a great program. They're really, really impressive. Impressed with some of the other guys that they're um, recruiting. Look, and, and we'll we'll talk about some of the other guys um, they're, they're set to visit this week and. Uh, some of the other recruits that they're going after, but they really, really like just what they're doing at overtime. And they want that to be kind of a, a kind of a, a gateway between one and one, you know, they they want a, a, you know, a little pipeline or yeah, a little bridge between the two. They'd love to, for that to be a long-term thing. So I uh, don't want to ruin that early with an ugly breakup after Rob had just gotten there a month ago. So uh, things are working out exactly the way they need to. They're, the conversation this week was very impressive. They're, they love the way uh, he's been developing, and so far, so good. So um, let's crush that rumor before it even presents itself uh, on a national you know, perspective. So uh, that was stop number two. Later this week, Thursday, they will be taking uh, that, that jet from Lexington up to uh, – so the team's going up to New York City for the uh, UCLA game. Before that, they're going to stop in New Jersey to see Aaron Bradshaw and DJ Wagner play their game uh, on Thursday evening. So that'll be a, a great opportunity for them. And then Sunday, Zach, they're going to be stopping in. One o'clock, uh, Ian Jackson is going to be playing with his Cardinal Hayes team uh, against Carmelo Anthony's kid uh, with Christ the King. So that's going to be a cool opportunity to see um, you know what a potential future Kentucky Wildcat can, can do. We've had, talked about Ian on the show. Uh, love his defensive intensity. Think he's really, really uh, surefire top two for my money. I think he's the best player in the class uh, outside of Flory Badunga, and we'll talk about him here in a little bit as well. Um, but for my money, the best guard in the class and somebody that's kind of a must-get for Kentucky, uh, I was told that they are all in on him. He is kind of a decision is looming for him, Zach. Um, I would not be shocked if we see him pop in January even. I mean, I mean, we're talking within the next month or two uh, that we could see a decision come down for Ian Jackson. So uh, Kentucky's doing whatever it takes to close on uh, on Ian, top two player in the class, six foot five, 180 pounds. Uh, for my money, the best two-way guard in that class. So um, very uh, cool opportunity for Kentucky fans. If you're going up to, to New York City, uh, once you stick around another day, after the UCLA game and go see Ian Jackson in person and uh, make sure you make it very clear that he's wanted in Kentucky, Zach. Yeah, we'll have a couple of KSR folks up there bringing you the, the top-notch coverage as well uh, from everything that Ian does. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of Ian, too. We've been able to watch uh, watch him a couple times in person, talk to him as well. Kentucky's been on him pretty much since he became, you know, a, five, a solidified five-star before his sophomore season, whenever that was. 
Uh, so this is the guy that they want to start the class with and they want to try and get him locked down quick. I think that's what you want to do is build the class around a guy like Ian Jackson because he is a guy who can, uh, like you can build a whole team around a guy like him. So, um, yeah, big fan of uh, Ian. I think he's probably the second or third best player in that class, like you said, behind Flory and maybe a guy like Trey Johnson. So um, locking him up as soon, or, as soon as possible is definitely – a good start for this uh, 24 class, which is a little bit light on talent still. And I think, I believe there's still some chatter about him reclassifying to 23, but that's appears to be a moot point as well. Yeah. Um, he, I just this past week confirmed that he will very, I mean, it'd be a huge shock for him to reclassify to 2023. Uh, just academically don't think he's there yet. You know, grades are fine, but just in terms of credits, don't think he has, uh, everything in place to make that jump is something that, you know, physically, I think he'd be fine in that regard. But uh, I just, I think that, uh, you know, they're going to keep it patient, not try to rush through anything and then make, make it happen for no reason. I think he's comfortable sticking around 2024 Kentucky expects him in, in 2024. I think other coaches that are recruiting him are expecting that as well. So um, definitely no rush there. And, and I think Kentucky's in a phenomenal spot. I would pick them as the favorites right now. Uh, and I do think that Kentucky is going to try to go for the kill here very shortly. So uh, keep that, keep that just kind of up there. And uh, uh, that'd be a huge, huge way to get that 2024 class rolling. Um, and unfortunately, I think after Ian Jackson's commitment, I think we could see a little bit of a holding pattern, unfortunately, because the class, as you said, Zach, is not very good. Uh, once you get past that kind of firm top two, top three-ish players in the class, uh, Ian Jackson, Trey Johnson, and and Flory Badunga, really kind of a step down in, in, in terms of talent, who's kind of emerging from that group. Uh, and unfortunately, I think Kentucky's in a holding pattern as well. And in terms of just who they want to go after, they are big, big fans of Boogie Flan. Keep a close eye on him. They like him a lot. Um, I was told the there are four guys that they're going after. Ian Jackson is number one. Trey Johnson and Boogie Flan are the other two guards that they want desperately. And Flory Badunga is the other one that uh, if they can figure out a way to get him they are going to to go all in. I mean, he's clearly the best big in the class. Maybe for my money, the best in all of high school basketball. Uh, you know, you everything that you love about Oscar Shibway, Zach, is what Floyd Badunga is. And if they can get their hands on him, they are going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Um, again, kind of a handler situation. Got some uh, several people involved in his recruitment that you know, different ties that could send him different directions. But uh, if he's gettable for Kentucky, then then Kentucky's going to do whatever it takes to get him. They are absolutely in love with his game and uh, see him as kind of a, a focal point of that class if they can make it happen. So uh, those are your four guys outside of that. Really not impressed with a whole lot other, you know, as of right now, not a, a single guy that they're like, whoa, that that's a guy we got to go offer. That's a guy we got to go recruit. They're kind of slow playing a lot of the other guys, just kind of waiting and seeing who's going to emerge. Cause right now there, there aren't very many players that are. Yeah. Carmen Knox is going to be a name that continues to pop up just because of the connection with his brother, but he's also kind of in that situation too, where you're not really sure just how great he's going to be at this point. Um, I don't, Kevin, his brother, was a top five player in the class, so I'm not sure that Carter's reaching that point yet. But uh, Otherwise, I really don't have too much to add to the rest of uh, those four that we talked about. Boogie is a guy that we've been able to see a couple times as well. Uh, mm -hmm. He's kind of on the rise. He's start beginning to try and separate himself as well and probably going to jump himself up in the rankings. Uh, really just seems like Kentucky loves themselves some Northeast guards at this point. They're really – they're just loving that New York, New Jersey area. Like, if they can find anybody in there, they're, they have that locked down. So – that almost seems to be their prime recruiting uh, 
now as well. So I'm all for it. Yeah, and, and I will add of the kind of next group up uh, in that 2024 class, Santo Surreal uh, is a guy that Kentucky is, you know, I, I think they were a little let down with how he played this past summer. Uh, we saw him a couple times, Zach, and, and really didn't impress me at all. I saw a head-to-head matchup with um, – uh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, Bayfall saw that head to head matchup and Bay absolutely cooked him. Uh, just, you know, I thought he just relied too much on being a hundred pounds bigger and, and taller than everybody else. And, you know, just bully ball, try, I'm going to back you down and try to dunk on your head. And uh, that just d- doesn't work against fundamentally sound players and, and guys that, uh, you know, know how to play the game of basketball. And uh, I think he kind of got burned there this summer, especially uh, he went to overtime elite. And that guy in particular, Kentucky, is extremely impressed with just kind of how much he's grown there, especially defensively. He's really, really grown there, just really well coached and developing extremely nicely. And and uh, that's definitely a name that I think was kind of falling off of their radar. He said one of the first quotes he ever gave was that Kentucky was his dream school and that, you know, I think UK has always been in a fantastic position for him. Um if they wanted him. And the issue was that he just never did enough to show that Kentucky wanted him. Uh, But I think that he's definitely turned the corner and is really kind of slowly, maybe making his way back up into that conversation that we're talking about who is going to emerge from that group. If if you're thinking long-term, he might be one of those guys. So uh, if things don't work out with Floyd Bedunga, I think Samto is a guy that uh, if he continues to progress in in that direction, I think uh, that would be a a perfect partnership for Kentucky and uh, Samto. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of Santo as well. Uh, he's got the college, he's almost got NBA ready size right now, really. Or he did when we watched him over the summer. I haven't been able to see any of his overtime games, so I'm not entirely sure, you know, what his progression has looked like. Uh, but yeah, he did struggle to guard. But honestly, anyone would struggle to guard a guy like Bayfall. That guy, you know, he's 160 pounds, but he'll still find a way to grab 15 rebounds every single time and flip, slip right through you and right by you. So, uh, and he's also a year old, so I'll give him that. But uh, Santo, Pretty much your poor man's Flory as well, at this point. Yeah, no, I love what he does defensively. I don't know if you saw the highlight. There's uh, literally from this past week, Sompto in like, I think three minutes had like 12 points and 11 rebounds or something. One of his biggest highlights, he went and honey dipped in, in, in yeah. the highlight. Yeah. Everybody was like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> yeah, if, if you uh, haven't seen that highlight, go look at him. He could be a potential future Wildcat. So, uh, keep an eye on him. Flory is the the ultimate, you know, the big fish, the big prize. Uh, mm-hmm. But if that doesn't work out, he ends up at Cincinnati or, you know, one of these other schools. Uh, definitely um, keep an eye on, on Sompto. I definitely think that. A couple other comments. Um, if you have any questions, hit them in the chat. We're going to uh, go quickly with the game, game stuff, quick breakdown of, of what happened against Yale and, you know, preview UCLA just a little bit, but uh, only real 10, 10 more minutes before we wrap this thing up. So make sure uh, if you have your questions. Uh, get uh, get those in. Uh, one person asked if uh, Chris Beard does get fired, does Ron Holland decommit and are we an option? I don't see that presenting itself. I think that they're just fine at that forward spot. Uh, I think that they're very confident that Ugo is back. Uh, he'll technically be eligible for the draft, but I definitely don't think that that's something that he's uh, even considering right now and just his development. He came here specifically, as you see, just kind of slow play and, and develop at the pace that he needs to. Um, I definitely think that he's draft boards too, way off the draft boards right now, not even close. Um, and Aaron Bradshaw is locked up, and that's something that 
they're they're very excited for him and in the you know just what he brings to the table as a recruit. So uh, I, I you know I, I don't think that they'll need much help in the front court. Uh, and technically, Oscar is still an option. And I you know just kind of poking around asking, is that even something you guys are considering? Uh, UK was kind of like, we'll see. We know how much he brings in nil wise, and he's obviously a different kid. Uh, they're not expecting it, and they're probably you know they have been making their recruiting decisions based on the idea that he won't be there. But it's just not something that anybody's willing to rule out at this point, just in case, because money is money, and he's making a whole hell of a lot of it, uh, and uh, he seems to be really enjoying his time at Kentucky. So, uh, kind of an outside shot. I wouldn't plan on it, but uh, yeah, Zach, I think I think Kentucky's going to be just fine in the front court next season. Yeah, so it's, it, you'll have some question marks, you know, maybe what happens with Chris Livingston type thing. Does, you know, how does the rest of his season play out? Does he fill himself into a role where he feels like he can come back for another year? Does he play so well that he thinks he can go to the NBA? Does he do a Keon route or um, uh, a guy at Providence? Why am I forgetting his name? Bryce Hopkins. Bryce Hopkins. Pull one of those and then transfer like that. Uh, who knows with him? Um, I think Chris is a guy that you would really want to come back, especially if Oscar leaves because uh, he's – if he plays the four, he'd be really good alongside guys like Ugo and Aaron Bradshaw uh, when they're filling into bigger roles. So I think the front court is definitely fine. Edwards is going to – I think that's kind of the key is Justin Edwards kind of holding down things where if he's playing the four or three or two, just wherever he's at, he's going to be the guy that kind of holds down that that section of the uh, you know front court or back court, whatever you want to say. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, uh, roll through some of these uh, topics on on the Kentucky-Yale game. Kentucky wins 69-59. to 59. Uh, It was a tale of two halves or kind of really four quarters, Zach. The yeah. first 10 minutes of the game was incredible, 20, 25 points. Kentucky was on pace to score 100 points. Really everything that you're looking for in a Kentucky offense, they were efficient. They were knocking down shots, scoring at will down lows. It, it was beautiful. The last 10 minutes of the first half, absolutely terrible. They go on a stretch from the eight-minute mark to a minute 30. Uh, don't score a single basket. Uh, I think score eight points in that entire last 10 minutes of the first half. Uh, and then things finally get rolling there in the second half. Oscar Sheboy absolutely explodes for 22 points in the second half to win his most impressive, impactful player belt or whatever they're doing down there. Um, well, well deserved, but uh, still a funny gimmick. I still don't understand why they're doing it. But uh, Oscar is the reason why Kentucky solidifies the 10 point victory. Uh, what your thoughts, your takeaways from the win? I, you know, I've said it a couple times already. When we when we have games like this, I feel like is Oscar still the best player in the country? You know. He's, they were force feeding in. Cal even said post game that was the plan. They didn't have anything other. They didn't have anything else planned. Really, it was let's feed the ball to Oscar because there's no one on Yale that can even pretend to guard him. And I guess a team like Yale that's going to work, you know, 95% of the time. We'll see if that concept can still kind of roll along in the SEC. I guess it kind of did last year. Uh, I don't know about 22 points in one half for him against an SEC team. That could be a little difficult. But uh, yeah, that that offensive drought in the first half was really disappointing, especially because the, the plan in the second half was just to feed it to Oscar. So what was the issue in the first half? Just give the best player on the court the ball. I almost, you know, I thought it was telling after the game that Savir, uh, he said, you know, it just took us a second to remember that we had the best player in the country, which when I heard it, I didn't think about it. But when I read it back, I was like, wait a minute, you, you know, it should, you shouldn't forget about that ever. Like if you're going through a two minute, if you ever hit a two minute scoring job, feed the ball to Oscar and he'll find a way to put it in the, in the, in the hoop. So those stri- those droughts are those droughts happen in pretty much every single college basketball game I've ever watched. But 
it could have been easily avoided just by some, some of it was just missing open shots. Uh, CJ Frederick still doesn't seem to be back to, you know, maybe what he was at Iowa or maybe just the competition level at Iowa is just so much different than it is here that it's maybe still taking him time to adjust. But um, yeah, just overall 10 point win, uh, not what we would have liked, but it was nice to see that they found some sort of rhythm down the end of the, down the end of the game. And the defense was really good. I think we're finding out the defense is once they're, once they're all on the same page, the defense is really good, honestly. Yeah, I, I you know you brought up the every team in college basketball has those type of scoring drops, Durouse, which is which is very true. My only concern is that we shouldn't be getting it four games, five games, six games for Kentucky, and, and having it kind of become a habit. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's something we've definitely seen to open open this season. And, and Cal was talking about, well, we're still a top fifteen uh, scoring efficient offense in, in college Absolutely. basketball wasn't true it's number 19 but if you look at the advanced numbers in terms of uh, the against quality competition top 50 competition uh, they're like 127 in college basketball so definitely not the numbers that they're hoping for uh, against real competition yeah you can score 100 plus against you know Duquesne and Howard and you know those type of schools but you know are you actually playing the the teams that matter tournament level competition how are you playing against those teams and the only one that they really did much of anything and, and that makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside offensively was against Michigan and uh there was a stat that Steven our, our producer sent me that really uh, their shot quality in terms of shot quality and efficiency uh they should have actually lost that game by 11 points which just absolutely blew my mind uh, just in terms of shot quality difference between Michigan the shots they were taking and make, making versus missing and the ones that Kentucky was taking and making versus missing uh, that, that Michigan actually was supposed to win that game by 11 points. So really that shouldn't even make you feel all warm and fuzzy in that one either. So uh, got to get better there. Got to improve in that regard. One of my biggest concerns is at the four position, Zach, I definitely think that uh, there's a real struggle there. I, I, I think, Jacob Toppin, Calipari even singled him out and said he needs to be a guy that emerges. He's way too talented, way too physically gifted to not uh, be that guy at the four. And if he's not going to be that guy, Damian Collins has shown absolutely nothing. I, mean, I know he's dealt with what he's uh, dealt with, and, and I just couldn't ever imagine even how to play a basketball season after losing my dad. But when it comes to, it comes to actually playing the games and who gets minutes and how they're distributed – if he's not going to provide something for this team, then then why even put him out here and put him in that difficult position to struggle? So uh, I don't think he's giving you enough right now. And unfortunately, that leaves us Chris Chris Livingston always comes back to Chris at the four. Uh, I think he did some good things and some spot minutes there at the four in the first half. Um, but, you know, defensive struggles kept him off the floor long term. And uh, I think that 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 position's a very, very clear question mark right now. Yeah, and coming into the season, that was almost a spot that we thought would be fine with having so many of those guys. But the reality of it is, is Jacob Toppin has not been as good as even he thought he was going to be. And like, not even close. He just hasn't played well. He has not played up nearly to any of the standards that himself or Cal or anyone, even fans, have set for him. That's the main issue. Collins, it's really hard to gauge his situation and even, you know, judge his situation just because of everything that's happened. Like you said, I don't even know how this kid could come back and play basketball. So the fact that he's even doing that, I think speaks to him and I don't have any, you know, I don't blame him for any sort of on-court struggles. Jacob Toppin, on the other hand, 
has pretty much declared himself an NBA draft pick before the season started and has come in looking like the fifth best player on a mediocre or a top 20, like a regular top 25 team. So the thing with him is he just has to play better. He's got to go. He's got to be more active on the glass. Kyle said that he's got to hit his mid range shots. He's, even if, if he's going to shoot that mid range shot, you better, you, you better make the thing, the damn shot. Like don't sit here and talk about how you've made that shot all your life in practice. Cause we don't care. I want you to make the 15 footer in the game when it counts, not when your team's down 20 in the second half as well. Um, and that's just kind of what it, it's been with him. I'm not, his defense doesn't seem that consistent either. He gets lost a lot of times on screens. His communication with Oscar doesn't seem that great. Um, so I don't, I don't know what all is going on there. Just honestly, a side note, I don't think Oscar's that great at communicating with his teammates on the court in general. Uh, so maybe that's a little bit part of that. I feel like he's getting a little bit better as the season goes along, but Chris at the four is always going to end up being our solution, if you will, uh, or at least at this point in the season. Uh, obviously, Jacob can turn it on and really turn himself into a player uh, that contributes at a consistent level and can go out there and score 15 points a game. Um, but like you said, with Chris, he's a guy that needs to come in and play at least 15 minutes a game just because he can bring a little bit different uh, – I don't even know what you would just a little bit different vibe to the game than Jacob um, because he's a little bit quicker with this, with the ball in his hand and he can attack the rim just a little bit better. I think he's just bigger too. Um, but Jacob's obviously got the, the the length and height to him. So they kind of bring the same thing, but not neither of them are what they, what Kentucky needs, I guess, if, if that makes sense. They bring the same thing, but they don't. So um, yeah, the fourth position is still, it's wide open now. And that, you know, Four weeks ago, that was kind of the one spot that we were like, all right, we've got three options down there. Just kind of rotate them in and out as you please. Livingston doesn't play the four very much, and the other two guys just haven't been very good. And I guess my concern is you have two of, on paper, the best uh, above-rim players in college basketball, in Damian Collins and Jacob Toppin. When, Zach, have you seen a single lob thrown to either of them? When have you seen any, you know, real – you know, put back opportunities, things like that, that, that utilize that 45 inch vertical that nobody else in college basketball should be able to compete with. You have those guys that if you put them in dunker spots and, and, you know, put them in those positions to, you know, have those easy lob opportunities, those highlight level plays that really spark some momentum and things that, uh, that really could get an offense going. We're not seeing that for either of them, and I think that's a very serious issue. And if you're not going to put those guys in those positions, you know they should not be catching the ball 15, 16 feet away from the basket and then relying on them to put the ball on the floor, Damian Collins especially, catching it at the, the on the perimeter at the three. It's like, what are you expecting him to do outside of take a contested three? Are you expecting him to put it on the floor and drive to the basket and dunk on somebody? No, that's not what his game is. you got to put him in position – to have those easy scoring opportunities. And if you're not, then you need to have a guy like Chris Livingston who can actually knock down a shot from three or can put the ball on the floor. I don't like him as a three kind of initiator that we've seen him be. I think that's not putting him in a position to be successful, but I do like him in that kind of driving opportunity, go go baseline, two dribble, dunk on somebody's head, or at least finish through contact, draw a foul, get to the free throw line, however it may be. I think that's putting – him in the, in the best position is putting Kentucky in the best position, uh, given the team's offensive struggles right now. Uh, I just don't see any reason why Jacob Toppin and or Damian Collins need to be catching the ball 15, 16 feet away from the basket, especially Collins catching it on the perimeter. I, I think that's just absolute uh, nightmare scenario for this team that's struggling to find its offensive identity. So um, long story short, 
four problem. I think four four spot is the team's biggest problem right now. And I think if they get that figured out, uh, a lot of the other stuff will kind of settle into place a little bit. Uh, we're going a little bit long, Zach. Uh, Kentucky takes its talents to New York City uh, to take on UCLA, another high-profile matchup, CBS Sports Classic. What are you hoping to see out of the Cats against the Bruins? Uh, a win, I guess. I would love to see uh, some shots fall. It's really the big thing. I want to see C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves come out and combine to make eight threes. I, seven, three, eight threes. I think that's – you want those guys to come out and be – not initiating the offense, but they are the focal point of what whatever Cal's trying to run, where those two guys are running around screens, running around, just doing everything around the court, trying to free themselves up. Uh, make it so Savir doesn't have a guy guarding 10 feet away from him. Like, put Savir in positions where he can get into the lane, kick it out. Uh, part of that would probably involve, you know, playing Livingston at the four more. I really like Livingston at the four just because he can hit that corner three um, a little bit better than Jacob and Damian can. So I want to see just shots fall, I think, is the biggest thing. Um, I don't know too much about UCLA, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what you can say about their their actual team, but the shooters is what I want to see. I don't want to see us force feed Oscar for an entire half either. I, I, I don't want us to pr- pretend that they have to rely on something like that against a team like UCLA, which I think Kentucky should win. I, I, this is a game that they should – I think UCLA is ranked 17 or 19, something like that. Um, you know, they've had their struggle, their season struggles as well, just like Kentucky. So put them on a neutral court on the other side of the, the country for them. Uh, I think UK is in a really good spot here, especially with a week off. And I think UCLA plays tomorrow, maybe, or maybe Thursday. So they're going to have a game in between um, and that'll help Kentucky, you know, do some scouting as well on that. Uh, and yeah, someone's noting here, we've got a Dembona versus Oscar. That will be fun. Uh, a Dembona is a guy that you and I were really big fans of out of college or out of high school. Uh, wanted him to go to UK, obviously went to UCLA, but they're kind of, a Dem is like, honestly, a Dem is like a worse Flory. Uh, which kind of sounds weird to say because Flory's two years younger. <laughs> uh, they're kind of a similar players as well. So that will be a fun matchup, actually. Um, I know Adam has been doing pretty well uh, in his freshman season so far. He is a really big dude. Like, he's as big as Oscar, probably bigger than Oscar. I think he's maybe even got a couple inches on him. Uh, Long so that'll be, yeah, so that'll be a really fun matchup. Uh, but like I said, the shooters is what I personally want to see from Kentucky side. I want to see how Cal tries and gets those guys involved, Reeves and uh, CJ, I don't think we're going to see guys like Adu or uh, we might see we might see, see, uh, see some Uganda just because it feels like Lance Ware's getting the short end of the stick. So mm-hmm. there will be some some of those uh, situations where they'll come in. Um, but yeah, shooting, that's what I want to see. Just make some shots. Score 80 points. That'd be nice against a good team. Yeah, Adem Bona is averaging 7.1 points, 4.1 rebounds. Uh, an assist and a block per game in uh, 20 minutes a game. So uh, doing it kind of exactly what everybody expected him to do. Uh, Amari Bailey is also uh, on the UCLA roster, former five-star recruit, top 10. Some, you know, At one point he was top five, uh, dropped a little bit, but uh, definitely consensus five-star. He is averaging 10.9 points, 3.8 rebounds, and 2.7 assists per game, 1.2 steals. Uh, he's shooting 51%, 47% from the free throw line, which is almost impossible to do as a point guard, uh, and then uh, shooting 35% from three. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a different UCLA team. Jacquez Jr. is their leading scorer, 17.4 points, five, uh, five rebounds, two 
steals or two assists, one steal. Uh, he's shooting uh, 58% from the field and uh, 78% from the free throw line. So uh, definitely a, a matchup I'm excited for. A big opportunity. Again, Kentucky needs this win. Keep building those quality wins. Got to keep building that resume. Uh, definitely one that I'm looking forward to see. So, Zach, uh, after this, it's going to be Will Levis on the Pin and Deep podcast. So that's why we wanted to kind of use this Stick as around. the – Use this as the appetizer on the KSR YouTube page. Uh, go live to kind of get things rolling with some basketball talk. And then Will Levis, QB1, will be on the show after this. Very much looking forward to that. Before we get out of here, I have a uh, quick message from a new sponsor. Very excited uh, for this. With more than 30 best Western hotels and resorts throughout Kentucky, both leisure and business travelers can count on what matters most, a warm welcome, a rewarding stay, and a truly exceptional value. Massive lakes, tree houses, mountain tunnels, bustling cities. You never know what's around the next bend from outdoor activities to local restaurants. Kentucky offers something fun for everyone, and Best Western offers something for every traveler. Wherever life takes you, Best Western is there. Visit bestwesternkentucky.com and at Best Western on social media. Uh, I always love uh, the uh, good old Best Western. Use them all the time on our travels, Zach, whenever we're on these recruiting trips and uh, going out of town on these uh, on these games. We always love Best Western, so appreciate uh, them uh, sponsoring our show. So let's get out of here with that. Zach, where can fans find your work? Well, they can find me, as always, at a great website called KentuckySportsRadio.com, uh, a website that DeMarcus Cousins recently uh, referenced by name. Um, so I, if, De if DeMarcus Cousins likes Kentucky Sports Radio, I feel like you should as well. But you can also find me on Twitter at ZGagan, K-S-R. Gagan is spelled G-E-O-G-H-E-G-A-N, the triple G, as I like to say with my friend Jack here. Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim, KSR. Reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then.